The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Bill Crooks, who rose to the ranks of the Gilbert Robinson Company before he went on to co-found PB&J Restaurants here in Kansas City. That was nearly three decades ago, and his influence on the food and restaurant industry here is legend. Now he is consulting on a new venture called Chicken and Pickle, which is down at 1761 Burlington in North Kansas City, and it's a pickleball forward athletic venue, restaurant, saloon, food truck hub, beer garden, and event space. And there's probably some other things too uh, involved with that, which I'll let uh, Bill talk to you about. But he's just he's just having such an influence. He's also uh, now working on a venture that is called Good Food, Good Futures, which he'll talk about. And just welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on today. I look forward to the conversations. Oh, I am too. Let's talk about, for people who may not know it, uh, let's talk about PB&J. I mean, that taking us back a bit, but how did you get into that? What, what was your interest in entering the restaurant industry? Well, I kind of fell into the restaurant business um, while I was working at the University of Kansas in restaurants and continued to work after I left the University of Kansas at Gilbert Robinson mm-hmm. and rose through the ranks over a period of seven or eight years in five or six different cities around the United States opening Various concepts, including the old Annie Santa Fe's, mm-hmm. Houlihan's, Bristol's. I worked a little bit at Fedora and Plaza 3. So it was kind of a natural when I left Gilbert Robinson to start a company that had a variety of concepts as well as different you know, themes and locations. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that concept versus context. I've heard you mention that before. Yeah, you know, I think that most of the restaurants that I've seen that have failed have made it about content. And content to me is, is about what's on the menu, mm-hmm. what's in the building, and they forget about context. And, and food is such an emotional kind of relationship um, with the individual customers or guests, food brings back memories mm-hmm. of family. It can be good. It can be bad. And if you get the context of the concept wrong, you don't relate to the guest when they come in the door. So you can have a great menu and you can have a good bar scene. And if it all doesn't work together, then mm-hmm. ultimately you have issues with the, the delivery of the restaurant. Yes, and as somebody who eats out a lot, you're absolutely on point there. What kind of, uh, well, you worked you wor- worked your way up through the restaurant industry, but e- even so, uh, being an entrepreneur is a whole different game. And, uh, you know, the, the two... The two industries I've heard where banks don't like to bank are the restaurant industry and the publishing industry, so we're kindred spirits in that way. Um, so, you know, what what did you think about moving away from a a secure executive level position in other in another restaurant chain to opening your own? I mean, that's still a big leap, even with experience. 
You know, I think that ultimately entrepreneurship is is not necessarily taught. I think it's probably mm-hmm. a genetic flaw in people. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think you get into it uh, just because you're wired that way, and you're wired to take risks. You're wired to put your house on the line and everything that you own every time you go out and do something. And for me, it was kind of a no-brainer because I had run, you know, I ran a lot of restaurants in a lot of cities that were very successful, Mm -hmm. and I was manager of the year. And so I thought I knew what I was doing and uh, thought it would be easy. Little did I know that it wasn't going to be quite as easy as I thought it was. But it it seemed like the time and the place for me to venture out and do my own thing. Yeah. What kind of lessons did you learn about yourself, though, as as it all came on your shoulders now? Well, I learned quite quite early on that friends and family were very important in terms of securing financing for restaurants as well as being able to access uh, the Small Business Administration mm-hmm, loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was real helpful to get a little bit of assistance through a government program that would help guarantee loans for banks, which made it a little bit easier for uh, the banks to, to bankroll us. Right. And then I became really dependent on a couple of developers here in Kansas City uh, at Copa Peck and White and Blit mm-hmm. in particular that helped uh, do some tenant finish work for us for our first two or three restaurants, and we were able to take that and leverage it into uh, more conventional financing. Yeah. Uh- like I said, the, sometimes uh, the financing with uh, either of our professions can be kind of dicey. One of the things that you hear a lot about right now is just a lot of focus on local, 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 local food, farm to table. Uh, you have already, you, for many years, you've been involved in that. Now it's the thing. So talk to us about your past experience with that, and we'll lead into where you are now with it. Sure. We um, Back in 1987, when we began the um, Paradise Diner mm-hmm. um, in Oak Park Mall, we started sourcing the local products primarily because of the influence of, of people in California like uh, Jeremiah Towers and mm-hmm. some other individuals that were using local and regional cuisine and, and, and blending it with classic French techniques. So they were doing things like jalapeno cilantro bear blancs in mm-hmm. 1987, uh, so we had all this really cool regional and local food. So how do we take that food and how do we use it in more classic style um, recipes? Yeah, and and you were very successful there, and others have caught on. Obviously, that's a good thing. Let's segue that now into uh, the Good Food, Good Futures project that you're working on. It's still local food, but now it's more for health benefits and so forth, as opposed yeah. to the techniques that you were talking about. Sure, the uh, Good Food, Good Futures has been involved with um, the uh, David Ball's uh, mm-hmm. grocery group, the Hen House and Price Shoppers, right. and helping s- do supply chain work with the Kellogg Foundation as well as the Wallace Center. So how do we put aggregation centers in rural communities to where individual farmers can drop off products and those products can be shipped and sorted into major metropolitan areas. So we've been working with uh, some Amish communities and Diana Endicott, particularly a good-natured mm-hmm. family farms, who, who's kind of a national treasure, in getting this product into the Kansas City area. And aggregation centers are quite like grain elevators, if you think of them. Uh, you bring product in, you contract for a price, and that, and then that product is shipped out. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to get, because you hear a lot about food deserts too. Uh-huh. That uh, you know, if I if I want to go up here in Johnson County and buy organic food or fresh food, I've got access to it in the grocery store. There's farmers markets in all the suburban.
urban communities here on Saturdays. But the, in the food deserts, a lot of times um, there there aren't those types of choices, and that you're involved in trying to get these into those areas. This kind of food, this healthy food. Yeah, yeah we've been. Um, <laughs> Working with uh, a variety of programming for the Kellogg Foundation and vulnerable populations mm-hmm. and, and trying to get product into that. And, uh, you, you know, we've been working with churches and establishing grocery stores and double up food bucks inside of churches, as well as Title I schools with Bistro Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chef K that was instrumental in getting that product into, you know, some of the, you know, Plaza del Ninos was the first one that we were involved with. Um, and we're kind of carrying that thought into St. Louis. There's been a program that's been established here, um, you know, with this group of people that have been responsible for putting it together. And we're going to take that to the north side in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that Lewis and Clark thought yeah. of connecting trade routes uh, mm-hmm. across Missouri. But in this case, we're using, uh, uh, you know, small producers and, and connecting those in so that we can move goods and services across the state of Missouri. Yeah. Uh, what are the imp- implications of doing this other than the obvious, which is getting healthy food in the hands of, like you say, vulnerable populations. What are the other implications on a community whenever you can, you can accomplish something like this? Well, I think they're vast, really. It's about population health when it comes mm-hmm. down to it and, and the disparities inside of some of our communities where um, they are more prone to disease, obesity, diabetes, chronic heart disease, because they lack a- access to good foods. And people aren't, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, calories are cheap in some, yeah. you know, fast foods and uh, people will go spend a couple of dollars on 400 calories versus spending $10 on getting fresh foods right. and um, having to get transportation to pick those foods up. So, you know, I think it's really important for all of us to make sure that we get access to healthy foods to mm-hmm. these populations so that we can decrease the disparities in, in health outcomes. Your work here with the organization you know, Good Food, Good Futures is obviously, uh, you know, one of a socially conscious endeavor. However, I have also read about you. Uh, you're very firm on that this has to be sustainable. That, so you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sustainability means, uh, to me, sustainability has a, a, a couple of different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of implications. And one of those is that it has to continue on after the initial funding has run out, meaning a lot of good has been done and programs have started up. And when the grant funding is, is through, the programs collapse on themselves. So mm-hmm. when I talk about sustainability, one of them is is that is is there a profit margin made all along the way? And if there is, then that continues to grow and be on its own. And I think that's one of the great things in America is that these types of endeavors can be started and brands can be started and ultimately they're sold to somebody bigger who carries on some of the good work. Um, and then those entrepreneurs start again and they build another brand right. and they build those brands and you continue. And it's it's what I refer to as a virtuous cycle, is that you you start a project like this, it takes on a life of its own, and it continually reinforces itself by allowing more acreage and more production and more farmers to get into the business. Yeah, I like that term, virtuous production or virtuous cycle. Let's talk a little bit about your latest endeavor, which is chicken and pickle. 
Chicken and pickle. <laughs> Tell uh, us about that. Yeah. Well, a, a good friend of mine uh, by the name of Dave Johnson came to me and he said, I've got this idea for pickle. I love pickleball courts and I love this restaurant down in the Cayman Islands called Chicken and Chicken. What can you do with it? <clears throat> and so I started thinking, well, all right, well, there, there's a challenge for you. Um, and, and as I started looking into it and, and kind of looking around the country and looking into what we could do, it all kind of tied back into the thought of community, community health, and, and, mm-hmm. and really experiential design. So I put together a design team uh, with a couple of um, um, local people that I worked with before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we went down and we started fooling around and we pulled some images out and we put together a two-acre site um, with eight courts, four that are covered, that doubles as a 9,000-square-foot event space, a restaurant with a rooftop bar that's going to feature wood-fired chicken and a yard that we're going to allow adults and children to play games in. And all of the food is going to be, well, you know, we're going to use grass-fed beef. We're going to Mm -hmm. use some other things. I was going to say, it's more than chicken. It is more than chicken, and the menu will develop as we go along. But primarily, we're going to feature three different styles of uh, rotisserie chicken uh, with a few sides and and some other items that uh, we're going to try to source as locally as possible. Uh, but agriculture is a big vertical, and there's room in it for everybody. Mm-hmm. So not everything will be local. Well, pickleball. I, I have to admit, until I started reading about this, I had never heard of pickleball before. And I guess you guys are the first ones to introduce it to Kansas City? Um, you know, I don't know that we're the first ones to introduce it to Kansas City. It's been in community centers oh, uh, really? in Kansas City. Oh, really? you help and I exercise. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, it's, <laughs> it, it's one of the fastest-growing sports in America. And it really, yeah, it really is taking off. And what's interesting about it is, is that when you combine the idea of healthy foods and exercise, you're really talking about population health. Mm -hmm. And the outdoor, the, the way to integrate into a community with something like this is provide a space where families can come down they can play games with kids 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 will put down their cell phones and also it's about activity for seniors as well as as patients and and it's about you know really improving how people relate to their own health and provide a place for their families and them to interact at yeah, so so they go there and they feel like they're being entertained, but they're really getting in exercise, they're eating great food and having a good time. It's not like the old, oh, I have to trudge to the gym sort of experience. Yeah, yeah, the experience is quite different. It, it, it is really interactive. It is a, you can let kids go play and then sit down and watch. You can interact with your children. They put down the cell phones, quit looking mm-hmm. for the Pokemon, yeah. uh, hit the pickleball <laughs> around a little bit, and, and, and really creates a – it really – it's fun to watch because you can see them self-sort when they're on the courts and, and switch from mom and dad mm-hmm. and, and young to old. And it, it's, it, it's been really an eye-opening experience for me. Now, you still have part of this concept rolling out, right? Part of it's open and part of it's due to open a little bit in a few months maybe, right? Yeah. Phase one is open, and that's the pickleball courts, the beer gardens, the pickleball shack that also has a limited menu and adult beverages. Mm-hmm. And phase two is, is set to open probably this early fall. Is that the restaurant? Yeah, the okay. restaurant will be open, and 
we have created some interesting technologies that's going to allow people to push orders into hmm. food trucks or to bars and not have to queue up. And we're going to we're testing out some theories about being able to bring some some of the food out to you. Um, I don't know how it's going to work yet, but oh, it's been it a sounds, lot of fun. It sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, how do you see the future of the expansion going? Do you think it'll be a franchise? I mean, you've been successful replicating concepts with some of your other restaurants. you think this is a candidate for that? You know, I, I think that we have a concept that's fundamentally very strong um, that I think um, is more of an experience than an event. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the other outdoor venues are kind of events. You go there to forget about things and you, you know, you hit a ball around or do something and then you go home. This is about being able to spend an evening or an extended period of time with your friends, family, and the rest of the community and really interact and get to know each other better. And I think that it will be something that we can do or replicate in other communities. And and we're kind of looking, you know, we're kind of scouting around a little bit for Mm -hmm. that now. But we want to make sure that we get this one figured out Yeah, prove the concept here first. What about entertainment, though? Are you going to have any musical guests come in or, uh, you know, what's that look like? Um, It looks like we may be doing that. And Mm -hmm. we've had that discussion. The... um, the event space, which is the indoor pickleball courts, uh, all the nets will come out, and it is a covered 9,000-square-foot space. And we're talking about putting a couple hundred picnic tables in there in October mm-hmm. and turning it into a beer hall and and doing an oompa band and yeah. beer trucks and sausages. Yeah. But we're also going to have opportunities for large corporate gatherings um, to come in and do team building. So mm-hmm. we're setting up a series of games for corporations, and they can bring in. And we've already we've already actually leased the entire phase one to a couple different companies wow. this summer that we're going to entertain. And as we mm-hmm. get bigger, I think that it's going to be um, opportunities on the rooftop bar for live entertainment as yeah, well. Yeah, and I've heard a rumor about some good Irish whiskey that you're going to be. Serving. You know, there is some really. <laughs> good Irish whiskey right next to us. It's called Restless Spirits, and I'll give them a plug because I think what they're doing is really interesting. And Uh uh, they're under production. Um, They've got a vodka and a gin that's currently out on the market that's very, very good. I've had the gin. I haven't had the vodka. Uh, And we look forward to Restless Spirits getting their Irish whiskey out. And we will have a cocktail called the Restless Mm -hmm. Chicken at some point. (laughs) Oh, the picture that paints. Yeah. Well, they are, yeah. by nature, restless. Yes, they, they are. That's true. So, you know, there has been, uh, let's just say, I was going to use the word renaissance uh, of food in, you know, on food in Kansas City. Some people would argue that we you can't have a renaissance unless you've ever had a, a period where it was uh, acclaimed. And, you know, aside from barbecue, uh, people will say, well, Kansas City's never been a foodie place. But right now it is. I mean, it's even Kansas City's getting written up nationally for its food scene. What do you think is behind all that? I think there's a really a resurgence of young talent in the business um, that has come on, you know, kind of come into their own and are doing really mm-hmm. interesting and kind of fun things and pushing some boundaries. Um, and they're pushing boundaries not only in, in kind of composition, but in flavor profiles. 
And then I'm also seeing kind of this idea of, well, does it really have to be that composed, that hard, that many things going on, mm-hmm. and back to food that just tastes really, really, really good? Mm-hmm. And so I think you're, you're getting a lot of that swirling around. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what the next 10, 15 years is going to bring for food in yeah. Kansas City, because I think it's really cool. I think one of the things I find most interesting is how, uh, although you still are all your independent restaurants and, you know, capitalists and so forth, that there's been a coming together of some of the different people involved in the food industry to collaborate on different things uh, and come up with even more interesting types of products. I know Danny O'Neill and some of the chocolatiers here have combined with some efforts, and I see that kind of collaboration going on uh, quite a bit now. Is that something new? Um you know, I think some of that has been around for a long time. I know back in the day, you would get asked to stage in different kitchens, and I got a, I had a chance to mm-hmm. spend some time at the mansion at Turtle Creek and with Piles down in Dallas. And they, after they'd come to the restaurant, and they asked you to come down and do those types of things. But I don't think I've ever seen it on a community basis quite like it is in Kansas yeah. City right now. That mm-hmm. was more of a, a national basis, and this is about. Uh, I think individual respect for skills, mm-hmm. plus the ability to source local products. So you're getting, you know, like cheeses from Green Dirt Farms, right. and they're pulling chefs in, and uh, and so people are starting to to look at the different um, sources and using it on their menus, and then going somewhere else and seeing what other people are doing. And then I think it breeds creativity and and ultimately better products. Mm-hmm. Talk about the food truck scene for a minute. Kansas City is, is caught on to the national wave there, and you're starting to see a lot of food trucks and food truck events these days. What impact do you think that's going to have on the restaurant or food industry here? Do you see some of those turning into brick-and-mortar restaurants eventually, or just where do you think that's headed? Well, I think they are... Um, it's a big, big, big scene right now. Yes. And there, frankly, are a lack of food trucks to go around in yeah. terms of, you know, the, the trucks are getting more expensive. People are buying um, um, mobile food on wheels that turn into restaurants, I think, is an idea that is going to take off. And I think also you're going to see some people with restaurants get into the food truck business because it's a way of introducing individuals that may not be in your restaurant or in your right. your geographic zone to yeah. experience some of your food. So I think it's uh, I think it's great, and I think you'll see more and more and more of it. But how you know how do you make the business model work? Um, it's pretty labor intensive, mm-hmm. and you you know it's, you really have to want to do it. Yeah. Um, what about the uh, the support for folks in the food industry these days? I'm thinking of things like the Culinary Center uh, over in at Johnson County Community College. You've got the Innovation Center in Independence that has the big kitchen and the training. Uh, what impact is all that having on the food scene in Kansas City? I think it has a huge impact. Mm-hmm. I think more and more people are going through Johnson County Community College. What they have done out there really is setting a standard on a national yes. basis, particularly for the internship program. And the people that come through there not only are grounded in the basics of culinary skills, but they're also grounded in the basics of restaurant business. 
And it used to be there was this dichotomy of skills Mm -hmm. where somebody would come through Culinary Institute of America and understand the chemistry and the science and everything else behind it, but you put them on a a line with 300 people. Right. Uh, at night, and and they would fold like a cheap tent, and so you're <laughs> you're trying to strike that balance yeah. of execution and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And what Johnson County has uh, done is allowed that to uh, to come together into a program that brings these young individuals out, and maybe not so young individuals out, fully formed. Yeah, a lot of good things happening in the food scene here in Kansas City, uh, and and the whole socially conscious part of it with the Good Food Good Futures program too, uh, just doing amazing things. Do you have a website that anybody could go to to find out more about uh, the new concept with chicken and pickle or for good food, good futures? Sure, we do. And I'm really, really bad at websites, by the way. (laughs) Um, But chicken and pickle, we do. It's chicken and then the initial N and then pickle. And you'll find a lot of information on our leagues there, what's going on. We've got a luau coming up in at the end of July uh, that's selling out quick that's associated with the pickleball tournament. Um, and we are supporting all of these events with different food trucks, so the food trucks will change out mm-hmm. uh, depending on the event, and the food trucks are there on Friday and Saturday night. Okay. Um, so, And we have the obligatory craft beer menus and, and everything else uh, yeah. to go along with it. Oh, it sounds like a wonderful time. So uh, chickenandpickle.com with an N, not an and, chickenandpickle.com, or you can just Google Bill Crooks, and I'm sure it'll all come up, right? Um, there's quite a bit of information out there. Um, and, it, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm, yeah, I'm easy to find and easy to get a hold of. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for all of the good work and everything you've contributed to Kansas City over the years. Well, thank you so much. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.